This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, here we go. Uh, lots to get to today, and a lot of it revolves around what we saw last night, most specifically with the Edmonton Oilers. Now a perfect 1-0. Can we say, Matt Marchese, the red-hot Edmonton Oilers? Now winners of two in a row. One with each coach. Yeah, no, I, sure. I mean, when you look around the league and all the parity, when you look on the, the right side of the, the standings yeah. column, it's a lot of like 1-1, one, 1-2. One, one, yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of lengthy streaks going out there. But Rangers. Uh, yeah, the Rangers are red-hot. But, you know, last night, I mean – Islanders jump out to that real quick lead. And I'm going. And you thought the same thing that we all thought. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Here we go again. This has got six to one written all over it. This is a good look. We're going to get that one shot of Connor McDavid staring off into space with his chin strap undone, just wondering how this has all happened. But then Drysaddle went to work. Boy, did he ever. Um, Four points. You didn't like that cross check on Horvat, did you? Did not. I'm all for, I mean, I don't like cross checking to begin with. By the way, hang on, just pause for one second, mm-hmm. just so all of our listeners slash viewers know what we're talking about here. It was a cross-check from Dreisaitl, the Horvat. While he was on his knees. But it was on the back of his legs. Yeah, that's not, that's a dangerous spot. You could do some real damage behind there. Okay, Dr. Marchese. <laughs> <laughs> it just looked weird. When you see cross-checks in the back of a, back of a guy's hockey pants. I just didn't like because it, of the nature of how dangerous it is around the knees. Yeah, it's a cross-check. Cross checks are bad, but like those ones in the lower back, Jeff, like they give those out in men's leagues. Okay. Let like, me ask, what's the matter with you guys? Let me ask you a question. Yes. You've been angry in hockey. We've all been angry in hockey. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lots. But there's like a certain level. You're like, okay, you know what? I'm not going to do this because of the punishment. Yeah. Now for guys like you and me, this would be a lot of money, but for a guy like Leon Dreisaitl at that moment, do you think he's making the calculation? Cause I think he's going to get fined, not suspended. You think he's making the calculation? Yeah, this is worth five grand. Bam, most most allowed under the CBA. I always liked. Yeah, no, I, I he probably honestly in that moment he probably doesn't care because he has so much money and he knows the maximum I'm going to get for this five is grand. whatever. Like whatever, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. I always like the um, the comparisons. Like Leon Dreisaitl getting fined five thousand dollars is like you getting fined two hundred dollars. Like that, the comparison Worth of it. based on wages and stuff like that. Like I think, I think lower for me. <laughs> yeah, me too. My the, money I, makes noise in my pocket. Not that long, quiet green that Leon and Connor walk around with. No, mine doesn't even make noise. Oh, it's invisible. <laughs> oh, it comes in, it goes out right away. Yeah, pretty. Okay, much. so there's that one. Um, also, the uh, the Colorado Avalanche win a game. Oh boy, against Seattle. We'll get into that as well. Uh, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame ceremonies last night. Speculation on who's next. Mm-hmm. For the Hockey Hall of Fame, Elliot's going to be a little bit late today at the uh, at the GM's meetings. By the way, speaking of meetings, I just came back from the primetime sports management conference, so I'm lucky enough to to host panels there and have for the last few years. Um, today on a panel with Scott Housen, uh, pres- uh, president of the American Hockey League, uh, Dan McKenzie, president of the CHL, Glenn Johnson from the Canadian Premier League Soccer, and Mike Morielli. Basket that basketball league, the CBL that they're running is like the little mini NBA experience that mm-hmm. they've got going. Um, they're doing really great. Yeah, they're doing. I mean, you would know better than me, but that they're doing fantastic right now. And the the best thing about it is Mike doesn't have a basketball background either. No, but he's CFL like this player. CFL, and then he used to you know torture the Argos all the time when he played for the Ty Cats. But he also knows 
how a le- he has an idea of how a league should run because let's face it, the CFL when you compare to the NFL is small potatoes, just like the CEBL when you compare to yeah. the NBA is small potatoes. But he knows what makes it work. Yeah, he um and he's worked. He, you know, he was part of the um the players' association with the CFL as well, mm-hmm. so he understands it from that background. But you know, interesting um a couple of different interesting discussions too, and one of them revolving around well, the American one before before you yeah. get there. Scott Housen, yes, fantastic ball hockey player, like well, legendary. He's in fantastic shape. Like he's like he's like torn up like a bad report card. Yeah, like and when you have a position like he does, like I don't know how much time you have to to work out, but obviously Housen still finds it. Uh, it doesn't surprise me. That he was yeah, a fantastic he, he was hockey, a ball fan, hockey player. If I'm not mistaken, he might be actually in the Canadian Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. Come on, might be. yeah, I'm pretty sure. Housen, yeah, I'm pretty really? sure. So the last two top dogs in the American Hockey League, because Dave Andrews was a marathoner. You know, whenever Dave would come to Toronto, what a always, wonderful man! Uh, it's nice, nicest. The best, though, he's one of the best managers. One of the best general managers the NHL never had. I always maintain that Lou Nanny was the best commissioner that the NHL never had, mm-hmm. and Dave Andrews was the best general manager the NHL never had. Yeah, Dave Andrews was. Well, he was involved with. Victoria in the uh, old Western Hockey League when they went to the final and got knocked out by Cornwall, Dale Howardchuk's team. But yes, that's AHL, true. Gordon, was he not, uh, Grant Fear would have been on that team. Bob McGill would have been on that team. Was was Dave Andrews not with – was he not a GM? Oilers, the, Cape Breton. That's what it was. I yeah. knew it was East Coast. I just couldn't remember who it was. I didn't know if it was Montreal's affiliate. No, no, Edmonton. Edmonton. Yeah. Edmonton. Anyway, so, sorry, continue. The interesting conversations that you had. No, it, it's, I was just thinking about the – it's not for a, a huge discussion right now, and there's still this year and next year to get there, but, you know, after next season, the uh, the American Hockey League, uh, their CBA expires. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I wonder about – I didn't ask Scott about this. It's still two years out. I wonder if they ever try for a salary cap in the American League. To kill the Chicago Wolves? <laughs> Listen, Chicago and Carolina are starting to play nice again now. Like, they're playing nice in the sandbox. Let's just see where this... It's amazing what happens when you're last in the division. Uh, yeah. All of a sudden, you know what? Maybe we should just get some players in here. Yeah, some good ones, Maybe too. Just some players in here. We could use that goalie. Uh, what's his name again? No, but I want... And honestly, I really do wonder. I really do wonder about that because there's no salary cap. Like, that would probably kill off a lot of, you know, high end, higher-end European players from coming, but I'm not so sure that that's of primary concern as much as it is developing young players for the NHL. Well, that's where your that's where your bread is kind of buttered right now at this point if you're the AHL, isn't it? Like develop like having those, you know, like uh, we're going to have Rich Peverly on. Look at you know what Logan Stankoven and Maverick Borg have done in, in with the Texas Stars. Yeah, great. Like those are those are the types of players that you want to come through your league. So maybe here's the other thing though too. If they're going to go to a salary cap league, there has to be a change in the agreement with the AHL and the NHL too, because there's got to be a there's got to be a business benefit for the AHL to do this mm-hmm. from the standpoint of we need better younger players in here too. Those tweeners that are way too good for major junior hockey, but aren't necessarily good enough to play in the NHL, like Shane Wright last year. It was a little so bit nineteen year olds in the NHL or the American yeah, hockey league, and I and I think that that helps. It helps them develop. So to all those, because this was always the argument that I came back with. Um, that's fine that you want this 19-year-old to play in the American Hockey League. Um, what about the junior hockey operator that's developed that player to get to that spot to say nothing of the player in that spot who's helping to develop other players? Like, it seems if you get to a certain threshold, then it's just, well, me, 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 me. This is all about what I need now. This is all about what should be right for mm-hmm. me. 
You know, uh, Savoy should play in the American Hockey League. Wright should play in the American Hockey League as a, as a 19-year-old. Now, I will carve out one special place for it. Exceptional players. That, that's and that's kind of no, what no, I mean. but no, but I mean like no. If you're granted exceptional status, like oh. the Michael Mises, ah, to okay, come in a saying. year early, you should be allowed to leave a year early. And then does that open the door? So for So that would more open the door for Shane players. Wright. That would yeah. open the door for Michael Mesa. You know, it's interesting. It's funny. We're going off a tangent here, but there's a couple of NHL names attached here. So Jack Hughes of the New Jersey Devils mm-hmm. was turned down for exceptional player. Hmm. Huh. By the OHL. And there is a thought. Because he's American? And I've, no, 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 no. And there, there, there's a thought that it also cost them Owen Power in the OHL because he would have been granted exceptional status. So that's why he made his decision to go to college uh-huh. and not go to the OHL. But then at what point do you just start? Like, then it's, you got to draw the line somewhere too, um, right? I'm just, I'm just spilling out the facts here so for you, Matt Marquez. That's all the, I'm doing. The, the problem, the problem with having the 19-year-olds and figuring out what that threat, you don't know what the threshold is because every case is different. Of course. Like, do you have to reach a certain point total? Well, that's ridiculous. Like, that doesn't make sense. Can't do that sense. for defensemen. You, exactly. So, like, there's, there's, there's got to be a way to do it. Maybe it's one per team. You are only allowed one. Or you're allowed one every two years. So that it doesn't hurt. Like, there, there's ways to play around with it. But I, I do agree. It would be interesting to see if the, the AHL would push for a salary cap because, I mean, there's some guys that are making some some pretty decent coin in the AHL. But but I'm sure the Players Association, head by, headed by Larry Landon, would like to keep that. Thank you very much. Of, of course. And that's then it becomes how many of these guys that can make X in the AHL and still have NHL aspirations just say, yeah. mm, you know what? I'm just going to go play in Europe because I can make more money. And I think they'd be fine with that. The players? No, I think a lot of the teams would. I think they oh, want to the te- get, the yeah, teams, the teams. Sure, would. they would. Let me sure let would. me let me get to the story here. And sure. L, uh, L, uh, the uh, general manager's meeting wrapped up at uh, noon Eastern, so we're going to sort of wait, stand by here for for Elliot. Um, this is this is a surprising story for many and a surprising story for me. We'll see where it goes. Uh, this is off the uh, the BBC website. A man has been arrested on suspicion of manslaughter over the death of ice hockey player Adam Johnson, whose neck was cut during a match. Now, I have a really they don't time name the player, mm-hmm. but Matt Petgrave was the player. We know. Uh, Nottingham Panthers player was injured by a skate in a match against Sheffield Steelers on October 28th. 29-year-old taken to hospital was pronounced dead. Uh, police saying detectives arrested the suspect on Tuesday, adding that he remained in custody. Did you see the video? Unfortunately, I did, yeah. Did it look deliberate to you or did it look like an accident? So, Because this could have sweeping ramifications for hockey. Sure it could. Um, so my first thought when I watched it was, and you got to kind of watch it like slowly. I think he wants to use, like he, he gets kind of knocked off balance and I think he wants to use his leg to slow down the player coming across the ice. The way his leg comes up, that's not an, it's, I said this to a friend, it's not a natural movement in hockey, but what are natural movements in hockey when you're traveling at those speeds? Mm -hmm. There aren't any. There really aren't any. So I have a really hard time with this one. But yes, this could end up being a massive, massive thing for hockey everywhere. Detective uh, Superintendent Bex Horsfall from South Yorkshire of Police 
said, quote, We've been carrying out extensive inquiries to piece together the events which led to the loss of Adam in this unprecedented circumstance. But hang on. We've been speaking to highly specialized experts in oh their boy. field to assist in our inquiries and continue to work closely with the Health and Safety Department at Sheffield City Council, which is supporting our ongoing situation. Adam's death has sent shockwaves through many communities from our local residents here in Sheffield to ice hockey fans across the world. She, ur- and she urged members of the public to refrain from, quote, comment and speculation which could hinder the police investigation. Okay, so who are these experts and what information do you need to piece together? You just watch it. What I'm I'm trying to figure out what I'm missing here. I don't know. I don't think we're well, I mean obviously right we're now we're not police we're not, officers, we're not detectives, I get that. Well, we don't we're know not all the we're, we're also not getting enough water from the river to the village on this one either. Yes, so very that's true. just laying it out what this is right now. Although the suspect is not named Matt Petgrave was the player in question who I, caught Adam Johnson yeah, high. I can't imagine that it would be anybody else. But this is, huh, it's a very, it's a touchy subject, of course, because someone lost their life. Like, there's no question about that. But to to say that. Manslaughter. Yeah, like, I know the, the definition of manslaughter is not intentional. Yeah. But still, like, there are inherent risks when you do anything, especially playing hockey. You this know, one what, you don't see. I get all that often, but still. Yeah. One of the, uh, and again, arrested on suspicion of manslaughter. We'll, we'll see where this one goes. Yeah, I would hope that I am skeptical. cooler heads will prevail. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical. I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll see where the investigation goes. But I yeah. didn't, I, to me, that wasn't a crime scene. No. I mean, by definition, it is, but it, it's, we're looking at it from a different lens as well. Somebody who doesn't watch, maybe this, maybe this detective, inspector, constable, whatever, yeah. doesn't watch hockey has a different view on this. Maybe that's to their benefit, whatever. But I just, I have a really hard time with this one. So I understand the idea of treating it as a crime scene if you're the police. I think you have yes. to do that. When 100%. someone when someone dies in that situation during that sporting event, you clear everybody else, uh, you clear everybody out, and that is a potential crime scene. Yep. Which is, if I can go off on a tangent here slightly, which is why I could never understand, I could ever understand why... Uh, Owen Hart, the wrestler, when he died at Kemper Arena in Kansas City. Was not a crime scene. Fell from the rafters, mm-hmm. hit the ring. They continued with the show. I can understand, because I think I know a thing or two about the old WWF slash WWE. I can understand why, because the mantra is always the show must go on. Yeah, yeah. I can understand why the promoter, the 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 agents that are putting the matches together, the wrestlers, Vince McMahon, all of them would want to go on with that night. But if you're the local police, how do you not shut it down right there and say, we may have, a man just fell from the rafters. How is that not a potential crime scene? 100%. Because everything's been messed with after that. Nothing is admissible in court. Yeah, and and it's, what, does the WWE have jurisdiction over, like, the police in that? What are they, the mafia? Like, Sorry, no. we got Hunter and Taker in the main event here. Yeah, it's, no, I don't think and so. And all, of all things, I, a casket match. You know, it's, I never thought of it like that. Crime scene. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Somebody passed away there. Like, yeah. that is, that is, you know, that's a no-brainer. Okay. Um, a couple of things here. Uh, mm-hmm. By the way, what do you think of the Hall of Fame? Uh, now, again, Bernice Carnegie is the bar. We look at the Hockey Hall of Fame, yeah. the Hall of Fame night, and we say, okay, let's hear the speeches. Let them rip. I thought that Carolyn Ouellette 
was excellent. I thought that um, Pierre Lacroix's grandson, Max, was real good, too. I thought I thought that was a nice touch. I think it was great. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Because I feel like the expectation was it was going to be Eric. At least in my mind. Yeah. That was going to do it. But the fact that his grandson did it, yeah. like, that's a totally different perspective, right? It's great. I Like, I know, not to get too personal, but, like, I had a great relationship with my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And, and I... And so, like, to me, if you have that kind of a relationship, especially, you know, he's going and getting stories from people, and he's so he sure. has a different perspective on who his grandfather was. And in the process, he's probably learning more about his grandfather while doing this. So yeah. I thought that that was a nice touch. And Mike Vernon cracked, cracked a couple jokes, too. He was good. Although, we'll let with the, uh, and I wrote it down, the, the, to me, the, the best line of the night. I mean, Caro is the best. Uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm quite French. <laughs> 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 that is a great line. <laughs> she's awesome. She is, but she's great. She's fantastic. I think we have Paul Paduti coming on in a little while here. We do? Yeah, he's coming on in a little bit. Um, Paul is a fascinating guy. Um, I like Paul. So the creator of Paduti Point Share, PPS system, uh, adjustedhockey.com. So what he does is he compiles all the stats based on not just the numbers themselves, but the um, the era in which the players play mm-hmm. to come up with a formula for who belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Now, I was on yesterday with Ailish and Justin, and I was banging the drum for... Lawrence Shabbat. How'd you know? Did you hear it? No, no you've I, just heard I, me go on about it so many different I, times. I just know this, but he, is, he should be. Uh, to be honest with you, Jeff, <laughs> when you first brought it up, yeah. I was like, what the heck is Merrick talking about? He's in the Hall of Fame. No. That's what my first inclination was. No, sir. Because when you read books... No, sir. And you talk, and you see the stats, yep. and you see his success, yep. you'd say, well, lots of guys have gotten in for less. Yeah, the the last time he, I mean, played in the twenties and thirties. But he, ne- but the as people, some, as someone, as someone from the from the selection committee once told me, Jeff, that's wonderful. No one here saw him play. Like, there's no one here on our panel that are deciding on Lauren Shabbat whether he played, whether who, who saw him play. And I always said to myself, I don't think you really need that for historical oversight. No, you don't. There, how about in baseball when they have the veterans committee, hundred percent, and they do that. And guys that they've never seen play get in, like a guy, probably a guy like named like Old Shoe Johnson or something like that. I'm sure I don't. Old know. Shoe Johnson's not in. <laughs> I had to come up with because you know how ridiculous those names are. Old Shoe. There's uh, old, pepperoni fingers Johnson. Yeah, yeah old, man, could that guy ha- throw a slider? Old Hoss Radburn. <laughs> like there are ridiculous names. Home Run Baker, the guy that led the majors in home runs. They called him Home Run Baker. I think he had eight. Yeah, that was Home Run Baker was his name. You got a favorite hockey nickname? We did. We kind of talked about what was the one because hockey reference. You said put them up there. Yeah, uh, I think I mentioned this was the last week. Yeah, Bun Cook was my favorite. Yeah, I did like. Um, oh my god, what was uh, Alfie Pike? The embalmer. Oh, the embalmer. That was good. Yeah. Um. Well, how about uh, Eddie? Was Eddie good enough? And his nickname was Izzy. That's a good one. There was also Frankie Beaton. You remember Frankie Har- Beaton? Frank Hardly Beaton. So Frankie Beaton, legendary tough guy from Nova Scotia, applied his trade mainly in the WHA. He went from Frankie, his nickname was Never, Never. Yeah. to Seldom, <laughs> to, to Always. always. <laughs> Three nicknames. Yeah, those are pretty good. We have really, like, the, you know, the hockey nicknames have really fallen off the cliff. Just, add, just add an EY. Yeah, see, they can't do that with mine because it ends in a vowel. Maddie. 
Yeah, pretty much. You'd just be Maddie. Yeah, that's... I, and what if your last name's Campbell? Oh, it's Soup for sure. But my nickname growing up was not Maddie. It was... What was it? Cheese. Cheese? Because people don't know how to say my last name. Oh, yeah, Marchese. Why so, is that so hard? Because they don't know that in Italian, the C-H is actually a K sound. And they think that there's an extra E in there, which there is not. Yeah. So, hey, by the way, but just, that's a Marchese trait. Like everybody's been called that. Just as an aside for yes. everyone watching on 360 right now, mm-hmm. how often do you get confused with George Peros? So, you know what the other one? I, how so, many people say, hey, look, it's George Peros. I saw him in town. Yeah. What's Peros doing in town? No, I, I, some people have commented you like, on Twitter. You went from looking like Drew Doughty to George Peros. So, David and I were actually talking about this, producer David Sis. Uh, Chandler Stevenson is probably the new one. Yes. That's probably the new one. Although I could use a, I could use a shave around the mustache, but yeah. No, I haven't gotten that very often. Yeah, People thought, ask me, like, why do you do it? I'm like, because everybody remembers that guy in the mustache. They're not, they're not, so they're becoming more popular. Yeah. But they are certainly less popular than they were in the 70s. I don't know that 80s. I could pull it off. I don't know that I could pull it off. You know what it is? It's really hard to pull off the mustache if it's not dark. That's true. Right? Because then it just kind of looked like, even though it may be a thick mustache. Or it's got to be red like Lanny McDonald's. Yeah, see, that's what I get a certain length, and it it does turn red. Hmm. I see. I, I get red, and then it go, and then it turns gray. Oh, my beard is very gray on the sides. It's okay. Salt and pepper. It's good. It's yeah. Good look. So is my hair. You're dead it's, now. It's okay. You're allowed. You're allowed. I know. So but, but I've had gray hairs coming in since I was 18, buddy. Like, uh, I lead a very stressful life, apparently. How about our boy John Davis last night? Yeah. You want to do that stat? Good poll. Uh, Great one. Jonathan Davis, shout out, West Coast Hockey. 11 goals scored last night in the two games. 11 different goal scorers. That can't happen very often, I would assume. Now, granted, it's only, it, it's only two games, but still, it's a pretty impressive feat. Like, the way Leon was playing last night, you're like, oh, he's going to score two for sure. Yeah. He only scored one. So what did you make, I didn't even ask you about that, the game, really. We got off on various tangents. That was, um, I, I never know whether it's just, you know, the uh, uh, the bump you get from a new coach. We call that in the financial world, uh, the dead cat bounce. Which I don't understand because I don't think dead cats bounce. But anyway. You ever throw one out a window? No, I wouldn't do that to Next time cat. you have a dead cat handy, throw it out the window, see if it bounces. That's where it comes from. My poor cat's at home right now going, don't you dare. I always wonder where phrases like that come from. Like, yeah. who would think like the dead cat bounce? Well, like, is there is there like a lot of people throwing dead cats out the window? Well, or there's multiple ways to skin a cat. Like, really? Is there? I don't know. I've never done weird, it. Weird world. Weird, man. Uh, Donovan Bennett and I we do the the NFL show together. We were talking, and he used one. Uh, the bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And I'm yep. like, who? Where does that come from? There's some like the etymology makes a lot of sense. Like, uh, on the wagon. Never heard that one. When you when you're oh okay yeah yeah okay sure when you're not drinking I'm yeah, on the yeah, wagon I'll on the wagon yeah yeah I was you know that you know that comes from no so before they would lead um, prisoners to uh, to meet their fate with the noose they would mm. stop off at a saloon to have one final drink and then they would say all right boys get back on the wagon huh you've had your last drink it's very interesting I wouldn't even give them the opportunity for the last drink but that's just me. You know where See, my, hang on, you know where mind your P's and Q's comes from? Oh, I feel like I've heard this one. It was some it's one of my favorites. It was at a it's, it was at like a bar, a saloon or something yes. that it came up, yes. right? Yes. Yes. Oh you're so there. Mind you're right your pints there. and your 
So so when the saloon would be getting out of hand, be late at night, and the guys would be getting rowdy, yeah. the bartender would ring a bell and say, gentlemen, mind your pints and quarts. That's it. Yep. And that turned into mind your, mind your P's and Q's. That's pretty good. This is a hockey show. See the things that you learn on this show? Uh, it's very educational. Oh, the game last night. That's offside. Oh, I think we're, that's a bad pass. Yeah. We were talking about the, you know, having the the coach, the new coach come in. I've always wondered about that because there's also the conversation that you have about, okay, well, new coach comes in. I've got to do my best to impress them. So everybody's on their game and wanting to play well because everybody always wants more ice time. Yeah. And I think that's part of it because then once you get comfortable with the coach, it's like, ah, I'm in his good graces. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back to, you know, I'm going to play a good game three out of every five. It's, um, I think there's two things. One, as a player, you feel like it's blank slate. Yeah, fair. It feels like, okay, this is all new now. And two, you, 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 you do, you, you, you want to impress. But is there more pressure or less pressure with the clean slate? Like, that's the other thing. Like, I feel Depends like. Depends on how your season's been. Yeah, I guess. Like, 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 like have a look at. Have a look at um, uh, who's a good example right now? Barrett Hayton. Look at Barrett sure. Hayton in Arizona. Yeah. So he's playing with Clayton Keller and Nick Schmaltz. Clayton Keller has like 15 points. Nick Schmaltz has 13. Their center is Barrett Hayton. He has two. And he was really good at down the stretch last year too. He was too. Yeah. But it's like one of the it's one of the weirdest things. Mm-hmm. Like normally your center will be like juicing all the points. Well, yeah. Nope. Everything usually flows through your center anyway. Nope. Their top, like their top center by way of points. It ain't Bukestad. Yeah. Logan Cooley. Well, that's another one. See them in action tonight against Dallas, Matt Marchese. Yeah, we're going to do that one. Later on. Yeah. it Arizona, I find, is so fascinating because they do feel like in some weird roundabout way that they're going to try. I mean, if things continue, they're going to try and buy. No, stop. Yeah, I do feel that way. You feel that way? Because they have a thousand draft picks, Jeff. They yeah, can't I know use they them do. All. I know. Last time, I, like, that's the thing that I keep saying. Like, oh, look at Arizona. They got like a million draft picks in the next few years. I keep saying that. I keep only saying have 50 everyone, contracts. You only allowed 50 contracts. You can have all the picks in the world. You can have every pick and every draft in the next three years. That's great. Scouts with You're, contracts in hand. Came to watch the Chiefs. Oh, there was a turnoff, by the way. I thought of you because I was going to Lake Placid driving on Thursday, and there's a turnoff for, you know, one way you turn and you go to, uh, you go to, um, to Lake Placid, mm-hmm. and the other turn, Johnstown. Yeah. <laughs> the old war memorial and I wanted to arena. go see the dog. <laughs> The dog, yes. Yes, in the middle of the park. Well, I had to go see the dog. I don't know about you, but I have, like, things that I... I think we all have, like, places you want to go, things... You, I just want to get a picture beside the dog. So I've got that one. The other one... Do you? I, I would like... No, no, no. I would like to... Oh, you've been... You've no, been to, I've never been. Oh, okay. I would like to. Uh, the other one, Jeff, for me... Yeah? Weird one. Patterson, New Jersey. Why? Lou Costello statue. Oh, my goodness. Really, eh? Love it. I named my dog after him. Did you name your dog after? Yeah, Louie, who my daughter, who can now speak, calls Wee Wee. Oh, I love it. Mine was <laughs> named after um, the Jetsons. Yeah. Astro. Yeah, I was a big Lou Costello fan growing up. I used to watch Abbott and Costello with my grandparents. Don't blame you. Um, I could have named him Curly, too, because I was a big Three Stooges guy. Yuck, yuck, yuck. I always loved that stuff. Stands up. Yep. Uh, okay, so the show's going to be a little bit scrambly because I'm kind of scrambly here today. <laughs> that whole first segment was kind of scrambly, but I think people like it. I don't know. Sure they do. Mind your pints and quarts. <laughs> hey, you learned something. Oh, yeah. That's they also great. learned where the, where the Lou Costello statue is in Patterson, New Jersey. 
If I'm not mistaken, that's where Hurricane Carter was also arrested. Ruben. I think so. Who used to live in Parkdale, Toronto. Yeah, I think that's. I used to see him. Sure. used to wear a great cowboy hat. Because I lived in the west end of the city as well. We'd see a hurricane around every yeah. now and then. We'd go down Queen Street, maybe go pop into the Rhino Cadillac Lounge, and there'd be Ruben Hurricane Carter with a sweet hat. That doesn't surprise me. I'm like, that's the Bob Dylan song guy. Yeah. the bo- <laughs> <laughs> Not the boxer, the Bob Dylan song guy. That's the guy that Bob Dylan song's about. Yeah, he's a great boxer. Jailed wrongly. Um, okay, we'll hit a break here. Uh, Elliot, at a certain point as well, I think Paul Paduti is going to be uh, stopping by as well. We'll talk about Hall of Fame worthiness. Uh, and then coming up in hour two, uh, as you mentioned, we will talk to, well, we'll talk to Brock McGillis uh, about the culture shift tour that he is engaging in. And also, I always say this, future NHL general manager, Rich Peverly. And nice guy. Great dude. Good hockey player. Solid hockey thinker. Uh, Rich Peverly, uh, director of the Dallas Stars player personnel. Stars in action tonight against the Coyotes. Lots to get to. Thanks for putting up with our rambling here for 30 minutes. You're not getting that back. By the way, like, say goodbye to that in your life. Like, that last 30 you invested in these two chumps ain't coming back. Hope it was worth your while. Mind your points and courts. Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Just got a note, by the way. Maddie, you'll like this one. About what? It's not going to be a lot of fun watching me go through my tweets here. Uh, here we go from Phil Habib, IG. I think the bird in the hand saying comes from hunting, taking care of the one you got versus the two or more hiding in the bush that you want to flush out. Go get the one you hit already. That's where that comes from, all right? All right. Uh, from there we go, natural transition to the Hockey Hall of Fame. And some uh, wonderful speeches last night, some uh, wonderful hockey players and executives uh, getting the, uh, the magic wand waved over their heads and now uh, find their rightful place at Young and Front Street. Now, Paul Paduti, you've heard on the program before. Paul Paduti is someone you might want to follow on Twitter. I would say you should. He's the creator of the uh, PPS, the Paduti Point Share System, which uh, allows for you to track and also figure out who statistically belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. AdjustedHockey.com, by the way, is the website there. Paul joins me now. Are you in Sudbury right now, Paul? I am, Jeff. Uh, I made it back home. I I had the privilege of attending uh, my first ceremony last night, and that was a real thrill to be around greatness, but I am back. Now, we're talking about it off the top. Like, Bernice Carnegie is the gold standard. Like, there is no speech that has come even close to Bernice Carnegie last year where she brought the house down. It was an emotional roller coaster of of laughs and tears and joy and sorrow and heartbreak and inspiration. Like, that was, like, one of the the most marvelous speeches, maybe the most marvelous speech the game has ever heard uh, at the Hockey Hall of Fame. But was there one speech last night that really did it for you? I I was really impressed with Carolyn Willett and uh, one of the yeah one of the things Jeff that really resonated with me uh, she mentioned when she was a kid she wanted to play hockey and her dad's comment was I've I've never seen a girl play hockey and that stood out so much to me because she's not all that much older than I am and it, it just sort of froze me in my tracks sitting there thinking 
this isn't that long ago and she spoke to some of the bullying and taunting she faced and that uh, leaped off the page and she was a great speaker otherwise but that's something that stood out to me in way in person yeah i uh i, I can recall you know uh when i was a kid playing in the and i'm gonna date myself here the mthl the forerunner of the gthl um uh justine blaney uh then she wanted to play with the boys um, in the quote-unquote boys' league, although the league then and the league now is not a boys' league, it is a co-ed league. Sorry, folks. Um, and it was a major scandal, and she had to go to the Supreme Court provincially to fight it for her uh, for her right to play. And I look at my kids now, like my, I've mentioned this on the air before, my, my, uh, my youngest son, Brody, uh, plays on Ajax Pickering Raiders, um, and they have a girl on their team, shout out Jesse Olden, uh, as I always like to do, um, and it's not a big deal. And when I was growing up, it was an enormous deal. And now, thankfully, it's just, oh, yeah, it's Jesse. You know, she plays online with Ryan Camacho. And it's just like she's just part of the team. It's not a deal at all. It was a huge deal back then for the parents, for the kids, all of them. Now it's just she just plays on the team. And that's a great thing. Yeah, agreed. And what else stood out for me was just the humility of the players. Um, just sort of seeing when they're up there, the actual moment and how it sort of sinks in for them. You can almost see it uh, in real time. And uh, yeah. that stood out too. They're just thrilled to be there. Yeah. So I thought of you yesterday and I'll, I'll tell you why. What goes through your mind when someone gets the nod, the, the nod for the Hockey Hall of Fame and you run their stats through the PPS, the Paduti point share, and it comes up, should not qualify for the Hockey Hall of Fame. <laughs> it, it happens and I don't, I don't like it because I, you know, <laughs> truthfully having put in all the work, you know, you, you just hope that you hope that uh, they're aligning with my view, but I appreciate there's a lot more than the statistical standard, but um, yeah, I, it, it's a tough one. Cause I'm always so compromised. You're thrilled. You're thrilled for the person, but you're going, you know, call or tug. Yeah. And uh, you're kind of going, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I do. And there's a few of them in the hall that we've kind of went, okay, sure, if I squint really hard, maybe I can, <laughs> can see where this player fits. Um, what about the next crop, though? Like, uh, eventually, eventually, Yarmer Yager is going to finally retire. Like, really, like, legitimately call it a career and he's a no-brainer, like the, the no-brainer of all time. Joe Thornton recently retired, so, you know, Thornton's on the clock now. Uh, that's going to be a no-brainer as well. But as far as, you know, the next crop, the players that are eligible next season, who are the no-brainers for you, according to the PPS? Uh, the easiest call for me is Pavel Datsuk. Um, you know, there's a lot of complexity with uh, Russians in international hockey these days, so... Yep. The Hockey Hall of Fame has not really commented on it, and nor do I expect them to as sort of, you know, uh, not-for-profit that stays out of politics. But I'm really curious how they handle that because for the first time, they're actually faced with making a decision on this, I would say. Yeah. It's one thing to pass on Gonchar and Gilney because they've done that for a really long time, but I'm really curious because Datsuk stands out amongst the group. Mm -hmm. uh, the other... The other guy for me that, uh, if it's not the first year, should go in very soon is Shea Weber. Yeah. Uh, he was Norris, top 10 for the Norris, nine times straight, uh, anchored three best-on-best best winning blue lines for Canada. So those are the guys that jump out for me. And um, there, there's a couple other guys on there that are fascinating. And I, I'd actually love your take on it, Jeff, because 
the Patrick Marlowe debate is, I think, a really that's a legit interesting one. one. Okay, yeah. so so here's. I keep going back and forth on this one. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it depends on which day you ask me. Um, <laughs> and, and here's why. My default is he was never the best player in any of the years that he played. Okay, he was never a top three player in any of the years that he played. But if you talk to players, one of the things they always come back to is how long did you play and how many games did you play? Like from a player's point of view, how long you were in the league matters. And I think for a lot of people and a lot of voters, um, it matters as well. And there was never, like at his peak, he was never one of the best players in the game, like a top five player in the NHL. But when you look at longevity, I mean, you have to consider him. Don't you? I mean, he was consistent. I'll say that. He never dominated a season, but he was a guy that every year when you were doing a hockey pool, you could pencil him in for X amount of points and he would hit it. To me, he gets in depending on how much you value longevity, and the players certainly do. Have you run the PPS on Marlowe? Yeah, I mean, I have everyone in history, so I can, I do. And it's actually, I kind of love the results because he's a couple points below the standard. And that's always how it sort of felt. Um, and it's really what you assign to his games record, in my view. Does yeah. that push someone forward? But, it, you know, I always come from from things with a data angle. And, it, you know, he peaked in, you know, I have the high noon system, which is like the world golf rankings. He peaks as the number 12 forward in the NHL. And that's the only season he was in the top 20. And I have such a hard time electing guys that, you know, we're not talking about a top five or 10 player. Yeah. Uh, he was rarely in the top 20. And that's different than, you know, Pierre Turgeon, who people might say long career, big point totals. Was he ever really great? But he was a top 20 forward for 11 years by my ranking. And Marlowe was for one. And that's a really big difference. And I, I'm really curious what they do with Marlowe. Yeah, that, that'll be an intriguing one. And, you know, your point about the Russian factor is an intriguing one as well. Um, because no matter what happens, it's going to be a, a political decision. Whether he goes in or he doesn't go in. Inherently, given the situation right now, whether you ignore or accept, it will be looked at as a politi- political decision. Agree or disagree? Totally I uh, totally agree. I mean, they have to they have to make a statement one or the other, in my view. And kind of the other thing that's really interesting is that Igor Larionov is an active selection committee member. So I yeah. I don't know how they navigate all of that. To be to be perfectly honest, uh, the other guy too that's coming up this year, and I don't suspect people realize how great he was was Ilya Kovalchuk. Totally. Uh, he hasn't played hasn't played in three years, and he finished yeah. top ten in the NHL in goals eight times. I mean, we're talking about an all-time sniper, and to me, one day he should be in there. And I'm just not sure what they're going to do. Yeah, there are a couple of more guys that I mean, there are some. There, there are some that are just plain obvious that we know are going into the into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Like you know, when it's finally over for Carey Price and the contract expires, like Carey Price is going in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Uh, we all we all know that. Um, but are there are there other players that you look at and you're like, hmm? I'm curious about this, and then you run it, like you run the PPS, uh, the PPS, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I didn't think that this player was a Hall of Famer, but probably belongs. 
Yeah, there's a, there's a few out there, and one of them that is sort of a low-key choice that no one ever thinks of is Marion Gabrick, and he's actually above the standard. Gabrick uh, is. When you, he is because he just played when nobody scored any goals. And, you know, if he's getting 40 that's goals true. at that time period, that's like 50 in a different era. That's like 60 in a very different era. Hmm. And so a guy like Marion Gabrick, I mean, he has absolutely no public momentum. I'm at the center of all of it and nobody mentions him. But there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of guys like that that yeah. you just think if they played in a different time period, their entire narrative would be so different of their hockey life. And I love that. I love trying to point out where it differs in both directions. Okay, so the one area that, well, there's two areas, and it looks like it's sort of course correcting starting this season. The two areas where I've always found that the the Hockey Hall of Fame falls down is goaltenders and defensive defensemen. And it looks like, you know, despite my screams for Lauren Shabbat, uh, it it it's, uh, it it looks like the uh, the Hall of Fame is looking to correct the uh, the goalie miscue, um, and that more goaltenders are getting the nod finally, um, but not so much for defensive defensemen. So like it's it's this string of yeah you know what Kevin Lowe went in and Rod Langway went in and uh, Leo Boyvin went in. So those are the only three defensive defensemen we've ever seen. So they're in and that's it. How does your system adjust for defensive defensemen? It probably doesn't treat them fairly because there aren't a lot of great defensive statistics to measure, if I'm being perfectly honest. But I'd add to your point, Jeff, that there aren't a lot of defensemen, period, in the Hall of Fame. It's not even about, you know, talk about some of those shutdown specialists. They're proportionately their numbers are really really low and i like gonchar speaks to that if he was a forward by a similar standard he'd have been in immediately and they're just not letting in a lot of defensemen and i I do wonder if uh last year was the goalie correction year if in the near future they're going to try to do a defenseman um, correction year and yeah i I wonder well I can't see it because I can't really see there uh, uh, being a lobby for it. Like, there's a big lobby for more goaltenders. I don't know that there's a lobby for let's get Adam Foot here because he belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, people like goals scored and flashy saves, and those guys are somewhere in between. Do we get tend to get lost uh, in the Hall of Fame? There's no question. Do you have someone personally that you stump for? Um, I. I think we talked about it a year ago, and it was Curtis Joseph. That was it. That's what I thought. The Cujo, yeah, it was the Cujo uh, bandwagon. And to me, he had uh, as great a case, if not better, as Tom Brasso and a stronger case than Mike Vernon, So I, I, in a similar case to Lundquist. So I really, really wished uh, he had gone in last year. It didn't happen, but, um, you know, it's never, it's never too late when it comes to the Hall of Fame, is it? Uh, no, it never is, unless your name is Lauren Shabbat. So let's go here. I come back to Lauren Shabbat again. So here's my other question, too. Um, you mentioned, you know, uh, we'll let last night in the great speech. I, I thought the line, if you haven't noticed, I'm quite French, uh, which brought the house down, which was so, so funny. That's just Caro, right? She's fantastic and, and hilarious. Um, but I, I, I am interested in if your model or if your does your model work? Do you have enough information to statistically draw out who should be in the Hall of Fame from the women's side? Like, there's some obvious ones. Like, Jennifer Botterill's got to go in. Megan Duggan's going to go in. Like, there's there's some obvious ones here. But do you have a model that, that accounts for hockey on the women's side, too? I don't. And it's a goal of mine. Uh, this is this is tied up uh, 
you know, a lot of time in terms of developing this and getting it out in the public. But my next move is to find a way to do it for the women's game. It's a little trickier just from the data side because the regular seasons over the years have either been short or non-existent. And international play is a bit of a funny thing to try to capture. That's yeah. something I'd love to do because it's not getting enough mainstream attention. And they're not even using the women's spots annually, which... I find it a bit ridiculous myself, but um, I, I hope to do that in the next year. That's, um, I mean, I think it gets easier now that the uh, um, now the, the new league is starting in January. At least there'll be some type of base beginning yeah. in January where everyone can look at and point to and say, okay, now we have this comparison between these players on these six and probably soon to be eight or ten teams. And you can draw like draw your own conclusions, and you can run it through your through your model. Yeah, I totally agree. I think now that they'll all be on a level playing field and have a little bit better data that's comparable, I think uh, going forward it, it it should be a lot easier to tell who the best players are if it isn't obvious from you know the eye test. Is there is there one obvious thing? I want to wrap on this one, Paul. And I always direct people to your to your Twitter. Always direct people to your uh, to your website, adjustedhockey.com. This is always fascinating conversation. Like your site, dude. Like and your Twitter feed is built for sports talk radio. It's fantastic. Uh, I love it. I reference it as often as I can. Um, is there anything that you think is a really burning topic around this right now that I'm leaving out? Uh, talking about the Hall of Fame in general. Yeah. Um, I. And I hate to keep going back to this, but the Russia thing is really, really um, interesting to me. And I know it's a political thing and nobody in hockey likes to talk about politics, but I think how they handle this in the upcoming years is going to be a major factor in shaping the Hall of Fame and uh, the future of it. And that's something that, you know, no one seems to have an answer for, but that's something that I really do think is going to shape the future short term anyway. It's an excellent point. Uh, Paul, you're the best. Thanks, as always, for stopping by, sharing your expertise. Glad you got to go to a, to a Hall of Fame ceremony last night. Uh, there are many more on your horizon, Paul. I am very sure of that. Uh, all the best. Hope things are great in Sudbury. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Appreciate it. There he is, Paul Paduti, uh, creator of Paduti Point Share, the PPS system. Uh, Matt Marchese, you glance at that all the time as well, determining who belongs in the Hockey Hall of Fame, sir. I do. Um, and for me, uh, Alexander McGillney. Should be in there. Now we talked about them. There's a Russian factor going I on. I know, but if no, we're talking you know statistically. what's going on there in a couple of years now, and it looks yeah. like the, the war, the the uh, the winter is coming, and nothing's gonna nothing's gonna happen here anytime soon. And you know, no. Uh, the other one is Curtis Joseph for me. So I I think that um, I think that Curtis Joseph belongs in the Hall of Fame. It was interesting to me that Paul said that his number stacked up with Henrik Lundqvist. Because yeah. everybody goes to the the default. Henrik Lundqvist is a first first year Hall of Famer. Yep. And then when you break down the numbers, you look at it and go, well, then if if Curtis Joseph is also in that conversation, then shouldn't he be in there as well? Because you could make the argument that Curtis Joseph at one point in time was one of the best goalies, yeah. if not the best goalies in the NHL. Uh, remind me in the second hour. Yes. To tell you my Curtis Joseph contract story. Oh, I think I have one too. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You want to go story for story with Cujo? We could do that. All right, coming up in an hour or two. In the meantime, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book bets local. Matt Marchese. Coyotes at Stars. It's actually a fun matchup. I like it. Puck line 
is stars minus one and a half. Coyotes are seven and 20 in the last 27 meetings in Dallas. The home team is 24 and 10 in the last 34 meetings. And the under is five, two and two in the last five meetings in Dallas central division. So we looked at the central division at the beginning of the year and said this, it's going to be Colorado. Mm -hmm. It's going to be Dallas. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to be jump ball. Who wants to yep. grab it? Who yep. wants in there? By the way, St. Louis has been playing good lately. Dude. They have. Is, is, Robert uh, Thomas looks great. As an aside, Brooks and Coke Express, baby. Yep. St. Andrews, Andrews College. College. Here yep. we go. Yep. Um, so the Coyotes could be one of those teams. Minnesota's always absorbed that spot, but we do wonder about the Arizona Coyotes right now. Yeah. Um, they have a decent record, 7-6-1, and one, good for 15 points, and a percentage of 536. Now, Dallas is a freight train right now. Yeah. They're real good. The Dallas Stars, uh, Saturday, Sunday. Saturday took apart the Winnipeg. Shouldn't they take apart? They won a they won a close game against the Winnipeg Jets three to two. And then Sunday took apart the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. And to the point where it caused a closed door meeting amongst the Minnesota Wild players. A lengthy closed door meeting after Dallas tuned them up. Final score, eight three, five power play goals, two shorthanded goals. Wyatt Johnson. Shout out. It's real good, man. That The thing with Dallas is that not only are they built for now, but they are built for the future as well. Like, that's a that's a, a heck of a job by Jim Nill and company there. Every scout who's been involved with the Dallas Stars, specifically those scouts from 2017. Dining out. Just have contracts for life. Because yeah. they, gave, they gave Jim Nill what every general manager wants. The goalie? The forward, the defenseman. Oh, yeah, and they did another job with all the other guys that they drafted. And they don't have to do a rebuild. They go from one era to the next. It's no crazy. pain, no pain. Uh, that's Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Brock McGillis, Elliot Friedman, and Rich Peverly, all to come in hour two. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, coming up in a little bit here, Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts Hockey Night in Canada as well. We'll talk to us about the general manager's meetings. By the way, just a quick note. I'm going to throw my shoulder out here, Brock McGillis, patting myself on the back. Uh, it was a $5,000 fine for Leon Dreisaitl. For the cross-check to the back of the hockey pants of Bo Horvat. Brock McGillis, have you ever seen a cross-check to the back of someone's hockey pants? Because we saw it last night at Edmonton and, and uh, the Islanders. I've seen it. I've never seen a fine for it. 5K. I mean, for Kill him. Leon Dreisaitl, that's like... Tip change you walk around with. Yeah, I, I might cry, but... I, <laughs> oh, right, no, for like me, I'm like, five grand. Uh, where am I going to find five, four grand? Where am I going to find three grand is actually what I probably would say. Um, Brock McGillis with me here. Uh, so glad you could make it live in studio too, because I know the next month and a half for you is going to be living out of a suitcase. Um, the Culture Shift Tour... Uh, I don't want to say things like, oh, it's overdue, it's long overdue, because it's happening. I'd rather focus on the right now and, and the positive. But for those that uh, aren't familiar with what the Culture Shift Tour is, you do a lot of great work in this space um, trying to uh, alert people and change the culture around the game for the positive. Those are my words. It's best described with yours, though. 
Yeah, thank you for those words. I really appreciate it. I think the tour's main goal is to make hockey a welcoming place for everybody. Um, I obviously share my experience being a gay man in the space. Um, there's very few of us, <laughs> mm -hmm. or at least out ones. And But it's not just for us. It's not just about my story. It's It's that straight white kid that can't conform to the culture. It's any, you know people of color who don't feel like they can fit in. It, it's it's for everybody, women, so that we recognize language, behaviors, attitudes, and impact of those things. And, and we can use the same tools and principles regardless of the group or the person to mm -hmm. make hockey the best place possible for every single person. So first of all, the, the, the tour itself, how many places are you going to? And I'm, I'm, I am curious because... So I've heard you speak a number of different times. I've spoken to you personally. I've heard you talk before. Um, and I want to ask you sort of like, give us a, the nickel and dime tour of, uh, of what this is going to be. But how many stops? So it's seven stops near one, all the NHL cities okay. uh, across Canada. And it's 100 teams. Actually, I was talking uh, to my management this morning, and Russ at Cimarroni thinks it might be closer to 120 to 150 now. <laughs> um, the, the day we announced yeah. last Wednesday, we received an influx of over 100 teams requesting to 100%. take part. So it'll be somewhere between 100 and maybe 150, depending if I can keep my eyes open. And, it's a lot of uh, coffee, bud. <laughs> I, I haven't slept in two days, just getting ready. Just practicing. So. <laughs> just just prep and, and yeah. packing and, and making sure we have everything and ready to go. But um, 100 teams minimum in 100 days across the country, mm -hmm. stops in all the NHL cities. And it's uh, I leave tomorrow and get going in Vancouver. I know you're excited about it. So what level of hockey team are we talking about here? So what, what we've done for this year, we focused on uh, minor hockey, but specifically high school age kids. Yeah. I, I think they are the most influenced, but also influential in the sense that they're about to embark on potentially going to junior, major junior. So 2009s you're looking at right now. Then. Yeah, essentially. Okay. So U15 to U18. And... So we're focusing on those ages, um, and I think those kids have a ton of influence. They influence hockey influences our society in Canada. It has such a major impact on our culture. Yep. And and I think that those kids in particular influence other kids in school, especially if they're elite players. They they're accessible to their peers, to youth, to everybody. To when they get to junior, to adults who treat them the same way they do NHL players. Mm. So by focusing on these ages, if we can evolve it here, maybe we'll keep keep more kids in sport. Maybe we'll recruit and attract more kids to the sport mm -hmm. and we'll continue to grow it. Um, I don't know that there's a, a proper way to, to phrase this question, so I'm just going to blurt it out. Yeah. Um, is it getting any better? Like, and I, and I, like from, from my point of view, you brought up a really good point. It's like, well, people are going to be careful what they say around you, Merrick, as opposed to having loose tongues amongst other people in the game, for example. But is the behavior getting any better? I know that I am not the proper barometer for it. Is it getting better? Right. Yeah, I think it's improved. Listen, I, I think when I was growing up playing, when I was in AAA and junior hockey, I don't think 100 teams would be reaching out to have some gay guy come talk to That's their good team. Point. So I, I think that in itself is, you know, evolution. We've yeah. evolved. Is there room for growth still? Absolutely. I think kids today are more receptive to diversity and to 
inclusion and welcoming people? 100%. I, I know I have three kids, a million percent agree. And, and I think it's because they're exposed to so much more, whether it's in school, on TV, through social media. But I think the counter to that is I don't believe in our culture of hockey. And listen, I say this as somebody who truly loves hockey. I want to preface that because yeah. sometimes I think people think I don't because of, you know, I can be critical of it, but it's because I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And because I've lived in it and I know the impact of some of the stuff. But I don't think the language and behaviors and attitudes within the culture in locker rooms, on the bus, um, on the ice, has evolved necessarily as quickly as the thoughts away from the rink. And um, I think we see that Hockey Canada released a study a year ago, I think it was, where they showed the penalized slurs. Yep. And I think 65 or 70% were homophobic slurs. Mm -hmm. So there's still... It's always been the default in this sport that has been the default you know if you're targeting somebody who is BIPOC it's something racist if you're uh, uh, for everyone else you put them down either by feminizing them or using a homophobic and it's saying this slur and it's saying that they're less than a man and I think the goal is to make them realize that we're all equal and that you know and beyond that, by using that language, like I was a straight, and I am ashamed to admit this today, but I was a straight womanizing hockey bro. And now I'm the gay guy talking about being gay. My friends use that language. I use that language. And they all came to me after and apologized when I came out. And because they didn't realize that it was impacting me at night. Yeah. And I think a lot of these kids, if they realize impact, will evolve. And I've seen it myself. Um the pride tape issue, which the NHL doesn't like to frame as a pride tape issue. They'll frame it as it wasn't just pride tape. It was also military appreciation tape. We wouldn't allow that either. Um, Hockey fights, cancer tape. We wouldn't allow that either. Listen, the the NHL, they stepped on a rake. Like they went looking for rakes and stepped on them uh, and have, have course corrected since. I know that initially that hurt a lot of, people and rightfully so and understandably so how did you see that entire scenario play out from root to the fruit from the stepping on the rake to okay our bad what happened with pride tape <laughs> what's kidding. that i said what happened with pride tape i'm just kidding oh <laughs> uh, no um here's the thing i i tr- i i wasn't critical of any players when they didn't wear a pride jersey Frankly, I haven't seen a rainbow eradicate homophobia yet. I think it's, um, I believe in freedom of choice. I think those players last year have the right to choose not to wear it. I think that will come with criticism. You're a public figure who um, fans who, you know, look up to you, celebrate you, whatever, pay to watch you play, that pays your salary. There's a right to be critical. Um, I wasn't because... I think they have that right. I, I wish they made informed decisions, and I think that's on the PA and the league to do more humanizing and educating of set, such issues so that people recognize impact of decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the tape, I thought it was a misguided decision. Um, no different than I thought the players had the right not to wear the jersey. I think players have the right to use tape to celebrate a community. Listen, we don't teach people how to engage in social issues. And everyone's afraid of putting their foot in their mouth and saying the wrong thing and trying to support a group and actually alienating them. So by having a simple gesture like tape, it, it allows people to show support. Uh, Dermot and, and a few of these guys who have been Curtis Gabriel, 
dear yeah. friend of mine, you know, was made it famous. Like, you he know did, what yeah. I mean? And, and, um, and impacted a lot of people's lives because then they felt like they had an ally in the sport and they went to them. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what I'm grateful for is they recognized the mistake and they went back to freedom of choice. And I think that's critical as long as we give people the right to do it, not to do it. Some players won't. Yeah. Who cares? I, I would prefer that they don't if they aren't inclusive or supportive or welcoming because I'm not a fan of faux inclusion. I, I want to know, I don't want to guess who doesn't want me there. I would prefer to know, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think this allows that. And I think for the players who use it, it's, it's a simple, easy tool for them. But I think it's also a testament to when we stop at performative stuff, when everything we're doing in the space is performative, we don't end up going beyond and then when things start getting stripped away and we're seeing it in society in a sense um we take away the performative we're left with nothing so i hope at some point they get to the point where they're humanizing and educating their players i hope the pa and the league get together on that Mm -hmm. um i would love to do i've done with the blackhawks i've uh, worked with mlse with the leafs i've gone to buffalo with sabers prospects and um even this tour being able to go out and do it we do the work I, then I think we will teach people. And then if they want to use tape to celebrate the community or show support, they, they can do that. And if they don't and choose not to, at least it's an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't say that I am in touch with young hockey players other than my kids, right? And I got two boys that play 2010, 2012. But as far as like younger hockey players who play, you know, uh, AAA at older levels, or not even AAA, AA, single A, and play junior hockey or maybe tier two or whatever level they play at, young kids even in the NHL, American League, ECHL, et cetera. Um, what's the feedback like from them? It's pretty cool. It is, eh? Yeah. I, there's, uh, well, when the first time I realized these shifts could happen, and my goal is to create shift makers. I, I want to show people that regardless of the issue, we can all create shifts and big or small, they have impact. Um, I was, when I retired from playing, I was living in Sudbury and I was working with athletes. Uh, I was working with about a hundred hockey players a day doing office training on ice skill development. And it's like 2015 or so. And um, I wasn't out to them. I wasn't out in hockey world because I was afraid that if parents knew I was gay in a place like Sudbury where there isn't a ton of exposure to the LGBTQ plus community, they might not want their kids working with me. Mm-hmm. Then I got a call from a hockey mom who wants to set me up on a date. And I said, what's her name? And she said, Steve. <laughs> and I came to find out all the athletes knew. And I started to observe their yeah. behaviors. And, and after a while, they started apologizing anytime they'd say something homophobic. And I went, cool, okay, we're seeing some growth here. And then I wasn't there one day and I had some athletes on a track working with some, or a sprint coach working with some of my athletes on a track. And at the end of a two-hour workout, he told them they had 10 more 200-meter sprints. And the spring coach or the younger player looked at the spring coach and said, this is so gay. An older player said, we don't say that here. Give me 50 push-ups." And that's something my athletes adopted. And then they all started doing it to hold each other accountable. And then they took it to their peers and friends at school and then shifts started to happen. And then when I share these stories in major junior locker rooms or pro locker rooms, I've had guys in major junior that are now young budding stars in the NHL mm-hmm. come to me and go, I'm taking this to the NHL. And they have. I have guys that now are finishing uh, U-sport careers. They're like, you know, that still sticks with me. They reach out to me on social media all the time. 
And it's so cool to see that they they want to be good people. They just need to recognize impact. Mm-hmm. And then I think they will all start to rally around it. We rally in hockey. We always have. We just got to show people that this these are rallying points. You know, um, I don't know how to phrase this. I'll ham-fistedly say specifically for hockey because so few people want to jump outside of this comfort zone that everybody's doing this one thing. So we're just going to have the horse blinders on. We're just going to continue to do things the same way. Um, But anytime you need, anytime you want to create change around a culture, someone needs to be the Neil Armstrong, right? And then Buzz Aldrin follows and et cetera, et cetera. But someone needs to be the Neil Armstrong. And I, I think one of the real Neil Armstrongs in all of this can be Luke Prokop. Mm hmm who is a brave um, and well, first of all, I should say, first of all, he's a really good hockey player. Second of all, he's a very brave hockey player, both on and off the ice. Do you have a thought or two on, on Luke Prokop? Luke's a special kid. I, I actually worked with Luke um, for months before he came out and kind of guided him through the process or was part of the group that guided him through the process because I lived it. You know what the media attention you're going to get, the the people inundating you with, yeah. um, you know that are struggling, that are going to hit you up in your DMs, and all these different things that you're going to go through, the the emotional toll, the trauma you've gone through to this point, and that's all internalized. As, as a gay man, his struggle is inside; he's hiding it, right? So you got to deal with all that first, because now you're becoming the face of something, hmm. and and there's a lot that goes into that, and and even met with his parents one time and I said, listen, bring him to Toronto. He needs to go out. He needs to see what it's like to be gay in a city and be around other queer people because, you know, he, when he's at home, he's hanging out with his hockey buddies. Yeah. So he's never really been immersed in that culture. And he came a few times and we've had loads of fun and, and taken him out and shown him, you know, Church Street and all it has to offer. Yeah. And so he's, yeah, has his agent now trying to maneuver a trade. Is that what you're saying? Trying to get is, that, is that what I'm picking up here? Well, I think Nashville has a pretty <laughs> decent, uh, you know, uh, party spots and queer, queer community. But he was so unfazed by all of it. Hmm. And I found that pretty remarkable at, you know, 19 or 20 years old. And Luke's somebody, I, I mean, I talk to weekly still. Like we've, we have now a pretty unique special bond that will carry for life. So as you embark on this tour, which will continue to grow, I'm sure. And the sponsor list is impressive. Like these are heavyweights, Scotiabank, Canadian Tire, Air Canada. Like these are yeah. significant, uh, significant uh, entities in the corporate community. Um, give us the wrap. Like if I'm a parent and I'm listening right now, or if I'm a coach and I'm listening right now, um, first of all, I'm probably saying to myself, I would like my son or daughter to be part of this. Um, what, like, what are these young hockey players in for? Like give us, give us the, the Brock McGillis nickel tour here on, on what you're going to be presenting yeah, and how you, you're doing it. I'll give you the cliff notes, the, you know, the, the skeleton. It's in a sense, what I do is first thing I do when I sit down is I ask them, I'm like, who here knows somebody who's part of the LGBTQ plus community? 90% of the hands go up in every single, mm-hmm. every single room I go into, whether it's a corporation, a high school, a hockey team, doesn't matter. And the second question is, um, 
who here has used homophobic language? And about 10% of the hands go up. And I'm like, oh. uh, and I'm like, you're either the most, you know, uh, uh, progressive room I've ever been in in my life, or we're all, you know, yeah. not telling the truth. So I put my hand up. Because yeah. I would just it. be ashamed, though. Part of that too, right? Under, like that's that's just shame. So I asked them after, why aren't we putting our hands up? And and there's no judgment because I want it to be a conversation. I want people who don't agree with me existing to have that conversation with me. It's important, you know? So then from there, after we get through those two, I, I share the impact language and the culture kind of had on me. And after that, we go into, I share the story about the hockey players in Sudbury and, mm -hmm. and how I saw shifts happening and some of the things that led me to coming out. After that, we get into becoming a shift maker. And, and I see three easy, tangible ways we can all become shift makers. No different than that kid who said, give me 50 push-ups in Sudbury. That had a ripple effect. That small thing that he didn't realize on a track in Sudbury, Ontario in 2015 had a ripple effect that's led me to sitting here with you right now. Hmm. Um, big or small, these shifts have impact. And they have a ripple effect that we'll never see. Um, that kid, by doing so and making me aware of what I could do, has helped save some kids' lives. And then we talk about shifts, uh, easiest ways to humanize. Putting a face to issues makes it harder to then, you know, use that language and not recognize impact. Um, the environment we create, whether it's locker rooms, whether it's our schools, whether regardless where it is, our corporate culture, et cetera, the way we act in there, the more welcoming it is, the better it's going to be for everyone, including the players who aren't LGBTQ+. And the third way is breaking down conformity. Like, I don't know about you, but everywhere I go, I can pick out a hockey player. They dress the same. They talk the same. They walk the same. I can do it. I, I was on with Blythe Academy one time. I was doing yep. a session. Yeah. And I could tell the hockey kids sitting down on a Zoom versus the other athletes. Yeah, they're the ones that have to get bigger pants because their butts are so big they don't fit into regular <laughs> jeans. Right. Those are the hockey players. But even the way they sit, I, I can tell. I pick them out of a crowd always. And... I think if we break down barriers, conformity, so I do a breakout after, I'm like, mm. tell me something you typically wouldn't tell a teammate you enjoy. Because every team I've been on, they use an analogy like we're family or brothers or something like that. I've had NHL players tell me they like, they like drawing. I've had tough guys stand up and say, I write poetry. We don't share this stuff, but it's a part of us. And then we get in the locker room and we conform to this culture. Yet if we share this stuff and we start embracing our differences, we're going to be less likely to judge somebody else for theirs. Mm -hmm. And the more you can bring your full self to the rink, the more productive you're going to be. And corporate culture has taught us that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's it. And then we break out for Q&A. And then I ask them some questions, how they think they can create shifts and get them to critically think. And we're going to do a pact amongst teams to find their own push-ups or something to hold each other accountable. Right. Um, I've got about two minutes left with you here. And I am curious here because I'm... Listen, I, I host a radio show every every day for, for two hours. I For the last, you know, going back to 1994, I've made my living and my career out of making sounds with my mouth. So I'm very sensitive to language that is used. Uh, and there have been times where uh, I've been corrected on something that I didn't think was anything that turned out to be quite powerful. And I had naively no clue. Right. No, based on my upbringing, et cetera, et cetera, the culture I grew up in, no clue, Brock. Is there something that you can share with us? One thing that we think may be, oh, it's just something casual that is meaningless, which actually 
is really powerful and profound that we should really think about using. Again, because I might be oblivious to it. Someone listening at home in their car right now could be oblivious to something that they're saying casually that is loaded. My biggest thing is we, especially within this culture, we, we do this thing where we're like, if somebody doesn't completely conform, we're like, oh, they're a little different. You know, like, yeah, they're a little different. And it's because they can't adhere to the norms fully. And to me, it's, you might as well call them the gay guy. You know Can what I, mean? I pause on that for yeah. one second? I'm curious about you. I'm interrupting my own question here, but one thing that's always bugged me is when a player is accused of being a distraction. Don't color outside the lines because you're a distraction. You're obviously more of an authority on this one than I am. I believe, with no evidence, I believe that's kept players from being comfortable enough to coming out because they don't want to be the quote-unquote distraction on the team. We grew up like, don't be a distraction. Everything focused on the team. Got to wear the team hat. Got to wear all of it. You just focus on that. Don't be a distraction. Don't do, don't have something, a, a public life outside of the team. The distraction question. Yeah. And, and to my point earlier, that's why I do that breakout conformity. So they share more of themselves. So we see that they have other hobbies and different things they enjoy. Because imagine by that logic, the surgeon that's going to watch the hockey game and paying hundreds of dollars for a seat Shouldn't they be at home thinking about surgery? <laughs> I know. You know, we all have things we yeah. enjoy, but it doesn't mean that we're not, when we get on the ice, that we're not playing for the logo on the front, but we still have a name on the back and we're still mm -hmm. individuals and we can celebrate individuality of still playing for the team. I have a saying, and I think it's the most profound thing I've recognized for all this, is that normal doesn't exist. We all have different hair color, eye color, skin color, body Amen. shapes and sizes. Amen. We're all a bunch of weirdos. And that's a beautiful thing. And the sooner we embrace our weirdness, mm -hmm. the less likely we'll be to judge somebody else's. I love it. Uh, what a great way to wrap up. Um, you probably have some packing, probably some sleeping uh, to do as you uh, embark on this journey. I don't think you're home until when? Uh, December 23rd. I leave tomorrow morning. Oh, man. Yeah. Bless you. Um, you're doing great work, pal. Uh, have a good time. Uh, I know this is really heavy and can take a, a toll emotionally, too. And you can help a lot of people along the way as well. And you know that. Thank you. So best of luck. Um, anyone wants to reach you, get in touch with you, find out more about, where should they go? Yeah, um, they can go to my website, brockmcgillis.com slash tour, where all the information on the tour is there. Or they can uh, reach out on social media, brockmcgillis33 on all platforms. Brock would love it if he had to work until St. Patrick's Day. Never mind Christmas. <laughs> I Well, I'm back on the road January on, so. Yeah. All right. Uh, get out of it. Brock, thanks so much for stopping by. Thank you. Appreciate it. There is uh, Brock McGillis. Uh, we will take a break. Uh, Elliot Friedman on the other side, the latest from the GM's meeting. Um, I would imagine cut-resistant technology might be right up around the top of that list. We'll find out. Uh, the show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and on your favorite podcast platform.